Thank you for tuning into this webinar, The Business Case for Developing Next Generation Leaders and How to Make It Happen. This webinar is hosted by AGH University and presented by AGH Employer Solutions. AGH Employer Solutions is a team of professionals that helps employers, business owners, and human resource professionals hire, compensate, manage, engage, train, and retain one of their most critical resources, their talent. Today's speaker is Daniel White. Daniel assists organizations with their organizational development needs, including strategic and operational planning, leadership development, and employee engagement efforts. He's worked with a wide range of industries, including construction, healthcare, manufacturing, banking, not-for-profits, and governmental organizations. He's also worked internationally as an organizational development consultant, serving organizations in Bolivia, Guatemala, and Ghana. Prior to advising organizations, Daniel worked in not-for-profit leadership and operations, directing projects with clients such as the U.S. Department of State and the United Nations Population Fund. He's been published in Fast Company in several academic journals and has presented at a number of national conferences. Daniel is a certified facilitator of appreciation at work and of the Hayes Group's Emotional and Social Competency Inventory. With the looming retirements of baby boomers, the keys to the workforce will soon be handed over to the next generation of workers. Unfortunately, many of these next-generation workers are not prepared to take on these leadership roles yet. There are skills and experience gaps that need to be overcome to enable the future success of organizations. Organizational leaders need to implement intentional training and development efforts that connect with the needs and wants of the next generation. This webinar will explore those development necessities and desires, as well as the most effective solutions for addressing them. Get started today with our topic being um, talent development and talent management. So, Really what we're trying to do today is, is start with a couple learning objectives. So first of all, we want to understand why training and development is so critical today, specifically why do we need to focus on training and development of our key employees and employees in general. We also need to figure out specifically with millennials. And I want to say as well, Gen Xers, how do we uh, focus specifically and work with them and help them with their needs for training and development and their desires as well. So we're gonna talk about those, and then we're going to look at the different options for training and development and understand what's out there and what some of the more effective solutions might be, and specifically for your organization, what might look best for you. Um, so we'll get started, and as Mike said, we'll have some polling questions throughout today. And the first one is just this, I wanna to get to know a little bit more about you guys and know who is in my audience. So tell me, are you a business owner or a senior executive? Maybe you're an HR professional. Maybe you're just a manager or maybe you're staff consultant, something like that. So I'm interested to know who you are and what, um, why you're here, I guess. Looks like we have a majority of managers here as well as HR professionals and then a mixture of the other two. So that's what I'd expected. Hopefully, I'll be able to give you guys some good understanding today, both from an, a manager perspective of how do you deal with people that you're managing directly, but also if you're an HR professional, how do we look at the overall scope of the organization and the training and development that we needs that we have there, and how do we deal with those? So that's helpful for me to know who I'm talking to. And so uh, but today, as we look at uh, spend the next hour together. Really, this is the agenda that we need to uh, focus on is first to understand the need. I want you guys to understand what is the need that's out there, why are we even talking about this today. Second, then I want to talk about some potential solutions that are out there and give you a wide breadth of solutions that you might be able to use. And then third, to discuss some delivery options that are out there for those different solutions. And lastly, speak to some key implementation items of how do we really implement these training and development solutions well. So that's the agenda today, four sections that we're primarily going to be focusing on. And as we think about the high level here, uh, I'm going to be giving you guys a framework today. It's going to be a fairly high level overview. I'm going to give you a lot of different ideas. A lot of them you may know. A lot of them might be new to you. Um, so don't expect this to be a completely new framework of, or completely new ideas. A lot of these are going to be things that you probably know, but I hope that there's going to be um, a way that I can give you some, some new takeaways, some new ideas that you can take back to your organization 
and also a, a good framework to think about um, training and development and to take a step back and think, what do we need to do specifically in our organization? Because each organization is different. All of your needs are different. And so I can't give you a formula that you're going to be able just to um, take back and do this one, one size fits all approach. I'm going to give you a lot of different opportunities and ways to think about things. And then you're going to have to figure out how do I apply this to my organization based on the needs that we have. So I think I'll give you guys, everyone is going to be able to take something away today, but everything is not going to be new, especially if you've been managing for a while or been an HR professional. This isn't all rocket science and it isn't all new, but I think there's some good stuff and good content that you'll be able to use from today. So let's get started with this first section. So the need, what is the need out there? Well, first of all, as many of you are aware and are probably the reason that you're here, one of the main reasons is that baby boomers are retiring. We've got a huge sea change moving going on in the industry where we've got a lot of people retiring, people who maybe started the company, people who are very experienced, people who have been doing their job and doing it well for a long time. And now we have to move and get the next generation in place and leading and get them up to speed. And so this is that's one of the big things that's precipitated this change. And right now there's 10,000 baby boomers a day retiring or 4 million a year, and it has been for the last couple of years, but it's going to continue to compound and get worse. So you're going to see even more and more of this need based on the baby boomers retiring. And you can start to see it in the numbers. As you can see, Generation Y, which is the millennial generation, is currently the largest generation in the workforce as of 2015. So just edging out Generation X and boomers, the silent generation, the greatest generation, is almost all out of the workforce now. And we've, we're starting to see the post-millennials, the Generation Z, come and uh, get into the workforce now, too. We're not going to speak to them too much right now. But as you can see, um, there's a big change already. And when you think about the future, by 2025, three out of four workers are going to be millennials. So going from back here where we're 35% currently in the next seven years, that's going to change drastically. And 75% of all workers are going to be millennials. So that's a huge, huge change, as you can understand. And if you haven't seen the effects of this in your workplace yet or your organization, you soon will because, like I said, the baby boomers are retiring, all be getting filled in by millennials primarily. So this is a huge sea change in the way that the workforce is going to be structured. And so um, we'll get to what, it, what effects does that actually have on the organization. When you think about business succession, some of you guys may not be thinking business succession or ownership succession. You're mostly thinking um, management succession if you're especially in a larger organization. And so, uh, but some of you are in this seat where you're a business owner or you're in a small company. And in 2012, almost 80% of business owners said that they were planning to transition or in the next 10 years or it was going to be a significant issue. And further statistics show that's still true today. About 80% of people plan to transition the ownership of their business in the next five to 10 years. And so there's going to be a huge transition, as we said, both from management standpoint and from experienced workers, but also from a business and ownership succession. So lots of change coming and already starting to happen. But from a qualitative and subjective viewpoint, a lot of people are saying, well, next generation isn't quite ready yet. We're concerned about the transition in the next generation. And I will say that's not just a millennial problem. All generations through the past have always had a learning gap when they're taking over new leadership positions. And so it's something that just happens as we transition generations. But this is a big sea change because of the large number of baby boomers and then also the large number of millennials. And there's this huge transfer of power going on now and in the future. So where are the gaps? Well, 
One viewpoint is that the next generation lacks experience, that they just need exposure to different responsibilities. It's going to take time for them to get the experience that they need. And like I said, this is true of most next generation successors. They lack experience. And that's the viewpoint of some companies and some leadership that you probably are aware of, that some leaders just feel like, well, people need experience. And so the career path that they get set on or new people get set on is a path towards tenure. And so it doesn't matter if you're Einstein or you have or you're crazy smart or skilled, you can't be promoted until you've been in a position for three years or you've had these certain experiences because they view the gap as being an experience gap that needs to be filled by time and experience and tenure. So that's one viewpoint. Another viewpoint that can be combined as well is that there's a skills gap, that people have certain skills or they don't have those skills. And if they don't have those skills, they need to develop them. And so in this case, you might have a 30-year-old who has all of the skills that they need for a position, but a 30-year veteran of the company maybe does not have those. And so um, this focus, this viewpoint, this worldview is more focused on developing skills rather than just having people be at an organization for a long time. Um, so when we think about skills, though, there's really two types of skills that we'd like to talk about. There's first of all, the technical skills, and these are the proper, it's knowledge-based most of the time. It's the proper process for filing a tax return, like hopefully most of you did yesterday or the day before. Um, sometimes it might be just being able to drive a forklift or something like that. And those things, since they're knowledge-based, are fairly easy to fix because we show the employee the proper technique or we send them to training or they read a book. And that's how they get those technical skills. And really, the technical skills are just the ante for being an employee without the proper credentials or the proper being able to drive a forklift, for instance, they can't work in the warehouse. And so they either, in order to get into that position, have to do the training beforehand, or they have to be an intern and figure those out along the way before they can fully be in that position. So that's technical skills. Those are pretty easy to change um, if the person is willing and learning and smart enough. The second type are soft skills. and uh, also called emotional intelligence, and those are more behavioral, behavioral in nature. So they're harder to test for because you have to observe the behavior, and they're also harder to teach because people have to change their behaviors. And really, as an employee progresses higher and higher in an organization, they become more and more important. So um, these are things, and if you want to learn more about this, that's a very deep topic. I've got a couple of other webinars on aghuniversity.com that you can go to that are in the on-demand section, and you can go and look at how do we develop some of those soft skills in our employees. But when we look at the, the, the need, the gaps, some of the top um, gaps that we see, especially in millennials, are in three different categories. And, and I like this list from Bruce Tolgan in his book called Bridging the Soft Skills Gap. And so the first category that he puts them in is professionalism, that we have millennials that lack some professionalism. First of all, that might include some self-awareness, that they don't uh, fully understand their strengths and their weaknesses. They don't understand how they come across to other people. And so um, that's one thing. They lack maybe a work ethic, or it's a different work ethic than what the organization requires or needs, or uh, what people expect of them, and maybe initiative even. And then also people skills falls into that. Do, am I able to craft a good email? Do I know how to, uh, when to pick up the phone and call somebody versus email them? Do I know how to interact with people in a personal setting? So that's what he calls his professionalism. The second list is critical thinking. And so uh, these are things like, uh, proactive learning, do I know how to learn? Do I go out and figure something out on my own? If I don't know how to do it, do I know where to go? Do I take that initiative once again? And then secondly, decision-making, do I know how to think through and problem-solve? 
rather than just wait for to be told something. And then the third he calls followership. And that's an interesting term, but I think it really encapsulates a lot of what he talks about of having respect for context, which means that I don't come in. I think that everything in the organization should just come and be about me and be changed, but I have a respect for the context and the history around me. Um, service, um, community service, being willing to uh, to uh, sacrifice for the team, to sacrifice for the community, all of that. And then teamwork, once again, being willing to work on a team, knowing how to work with others. So he calls those followerships. And so those are, I think, a good uh, summation of some of the key gaps that I hear a lot of in uh, millennials and the next generation. So once again, just seeing the need here that these are some needs that I see a lot of people say the next generation has. So who needs it though? Who, who do we need to train this? And when we're thinking about both soft and technical skills, we often zero in on making sure that the high level successors are good, that the next VP or president or division head is set and those are really important, but we've got to make sure to have a strong management bench uh, overall. And that's really for two reasons, because when employees retire, which they're going to be doing, they, they're going to be retiring from all levels. So we've got to be able to replace employees from the janitor on up. And here locally, that's a really huge problem because many manufacturers here in Wichita have baby boomer technicians or skilled service people who know their job and do it really well and they're going to be retiring and it's they're having a really hard time filling those sort of positions and so we can't just look at the top level management we got to look lower and we also have to think about as people up the chain retire we're going to probably replace them with people from down below who will then leave holes in their former positions and having a domino effect so we can't just look at the top level people. We've got to have at all levels people who are ready to take over in all areas and a plan for development of those people. So I am interested to know, second polling question here, what's the major trend or the major need that you see in your organization related to talent? Is it that baby boomer retirement? Is it the business ownership succession? Are the, the skills and experience gap in employees just being able to attract and retain talent? Or what is it? What is the, uh, the key issue that, that you really feel is in your organization? Like we have the majority see that skills gap in employees. And then a lot of people are having difficulty attracting and retaining talent, which I see a lot of. And then, like we talked about, the looming baby boomer retirement. Not anyone that has any issues with business ownership succession, so I won't really speak to that today. So that's helpful for me to know. Okay, so what kind of impact does this have on businesses? We saw a lot of the needs here. And first of all, I'm going to say the viability of your business is at stake. Not just from an ownership perspective, but... If you don't have management successors who are qualified and able to step in, then that transition is going to fail. Even if you have ownership um, that's in place and it's going to work fine. Um, companies often fail at transitions. And as we saw from the stats, there's a huge transition happening here. And we've got to be prepared in order to do that well. As in the picture, with the handoff is the most likely uh, place to drop the baton. That's the same is true here of, in businesses. So we've got to really be prepared for this. And you look at the stats, and this is ownership succession, but 30% of family businesses successfully transition through the next generation. And that seems pretty low, right? But um, family businesses usually actually fare better than non-family businesses. And that's at the ownership level, but it's also true of the management succession level. You've got to have, um, especially if you have tenured people in your management, if you've got 
tenured people at all levels of your organization. There's a lot of institutional knowledge there. There's a lot at stake when they leave. And so we've got to be able to have people in place who are ready to, to take over for them so that your company doesn't fail or clients don't uh, leave based on um, the transition that happens. So it's really important. So what else does it mean? Well, boomer retirements, there's going to be a huge need, and there already is, for that next generation leadership. And if you haven't already seen it or talked about it, talent wars have already begun for the next level talent. That's that's good. Good talent is harder and harder to find, and it's going to become increasingly so. And you're going to have to pay a lot more for it because there's so much experience that's leaving and going out the door. And so those Gen Xers and Millennials who are experienced and skilled enough to step into those positions already are in high demand, and you're going to have to pay a lot to get them, if you can even get them to come to your organization. So this is a huge need and a huge problem if we don't develop our employees well. So without, um, if your employees leave, right, if, we, if we're not even able to keep our current employees, then um, they're potentially going to leave and we're going to have to fill those positions as well. And who's going to leave first? Well, it's the highest potential people who are going to get sniped away and go for more money or a better opportunity somewhere else. So not only are you going to be losing talent but, and your key talent, but the cost of turnover is extremely high as well. Latest numbers show that six, uh, the cost of turnover for one position is six to nine months of that person's salary to replace them, to train them, all of that. So if you think about losing just one employee, that's a huge um, ex extra expense and uh, all sorts of things that go with it. So millennials, when we talk about millennials later, um, they really have a desire to learn and grow and they have an expectation that their employer is going to provide that opportunity for them. Whether we like that or not, that's an expectation. And so if we're willing to provide that for them, it's going to both help them. It's something that they want. It's going to help the organization and your company. So all of this is to set the stage and just say that now more than ever, there's a huge need for development of the next generation in the workforce. Businesses need it to stay sustainable. The next generation wants it. And so it's an area that everyone is aligned, I think, in the organization that it's a need and a want. So how do we do it? What's the solution? How do we provide this for them? How do we help develop the next generation leaders? Well, the first thing that I'll say is that development needs to be intentional. It's not something that we can assume that's going to happen or just hope that the next generation is going to pick up experience by osmosis or get the skill set that they need just by happenstance. We have to intentionally set them on the course to develop into the leader that we need them to be. And so hopefully one of the key takeaways that you can take from this today is that we can't just sit back and assume that people are going to change or that they're going to get this experience. We've got to make sure and proactively set out to figure out how do we get this for them. So when we think about filling those key positions, you have two options really. You can either grow your own and develop them or you can hire people from outside. Now, if there's nobody internally that's capable of filling the position, even with training, then hiring might be a necessity for you in your organization. But I, I would argue that hiring is a costlier way to go and it's a riskier way to go because you don't know that person's capabilities. You don't know if they're gonna fit your culture and you don't, uh, you, there's a lot of unknowns. But you know a lot of those things for somebody who is already working internally. So uh, I think hiring is an, uh, not, it's a riskier way to go. And I think it also is not great for your culture because hiring talent from the outside can really demotivate employees because they, they want to, to rise up, they want a career path. But if they see that there is no career path, that people are just going to be hired in from the outside, 
then they're going to go ahead and leave because they don't see that as an opportunity for them in the future. But developing isn't easy, right? It takes a longer time and it takes resources it, and you've got to have something to work with as well. But hiring, so hiring can be a, a shortcut. It can help if there's a really urgent need. It can help if you don't have that bench or necessary talent. And I think there's a place for both strategies with your management bench, but um, I'm going to focus today on the growing your own talent in this webinar. So that's going to be the focus. So how do you go about developing your own talent? Well, first, you've got to determine what the organization needs because you've got to figure out what, what are our needs, what areas of strategic expertise do we, are we missing, what key positions do we not have a successor in? What does the organization need from a talent perspective? And many times you or you and your executive team can just do this yourself by taking the time to step back and to look at the organization at a high strategic level. And that can be great. Oftentimes you can also get an outside perspective to give you an external perspective or facilitate the process of asking the right questions. Um, so that can be good, but the, the point is you've got to take a step back and look at the strategic needs of the organization. And then look at your, yourself and say, okay, do I, if I step out tomorrow, would anyone be able to step into my role? How much training would be required? And then talk to your key managers and ask them the same thing. Do you have somebody who could step in and be your successor tomorrow? And what are you doing as a manager to ensure that you do have a successor. And then ask your managers too, if they take a step back and look strategically at the organization, what kind of gaps do you guys see in general? What sort of skill sets do you feel like are missing? Or what kind of experience do we have that's missing? So that's taking that, that organizational look at how are we positioned and what are our needs. And then you can go on an individual level and look once again, and specifically see who are the potential successors, what are their individual strengths and weaknesses, and then develop a scorecard and determine the development needs of each individual. And look at that from an organiz organizational perspective. In conjunction with that, you can sit down with individuals and determine their career goals. What do they wanna learn? What do they like? What are their aspirations? What are the gaps that they see? And then determine how do those uh, aspirations and desires match with what you determine the organization's needs are, and how can we align our needs with the with the individual's desires and their aspirations, and how can we meld those together? Too often, I see organizations end up doing it backwards, though. They create positions, or they go a certain strategic direction based on one person and that person's skill set. And really, I think it needs to go the other way. We need to determine the organization's needs first. Where is the organization going? What sort of needs do they have in the talent realm? And then to uh, look at the individual. And it's not to say that you can't shape a position around a person, but it's got to be within the larger mission context of the company and make sure that this person fits here and we're not just going in some random direction because we like this person and they're good at this. Um, I often see this when I work with family businesses where they might be a manufacturing company, but their next generation successor really likes video games. So we're just going to create a video game division or something like that. Something off the wall that doesn't fit at all. And we're just trying to put somebody in and that's not really the way to go about doing it. We've got to first figure out once again, the organizational needs and then how do people fit into that? I'd also say, take a step back and ask your employees what kind of training or development do they feel like they want as a whole. Um, use a company-wide survey, something similar. See what they feel like are their gaps or their needs or what they want. And you can sit down with people individually if you're a small enough company, but it's great to get people's input as well into their desires and, and gaps. And then you can create a plan for your organization and for your departments and for individuals based on those. Figure out multiple potential successors for key positions. 
So we have, we've got a tool called the Red, Yellow, Green Lights tool. That's available on AGH's website, and I can share it with you, too, if you want to comment or email. I, I can send you a link. But basically, it, does, it looks at a position and says, who are the potential multiple successors for this position? And what are the things that they're currently um, green-lighted in? They're good to go, and they could step into this position today and be fine in this area. So that's a green light. What's the yellow light areas that they're not quite there yet, they're not quite ready for this position, but um, if with a little training and experience, we could get them there. And then the red lights are where we've got significant gaps between the needs of this position and the skill set or abilities of this person. And so you can then look and see for each of those multiple successors, how can we help them get to the place that they need to be to be a potential successor for this type of position. So you lay out a plan with areas of need and then figure out how you can overcome so, some of those gaps. So development, um, like I said, I'm gonna give you a lot of ideas here. There's a lot of potential solutions. I'm gonna cover some of them in detail, but I, I wanna give you guys um, just different ideas that you probably have thought of a lot of these, but maybe some might be a little bit new or new uh, twist on some of these. So what are some solutions? Well, the most basic is job training, on-the-job training. It's natural for most organizations, but it's got to be intentional once again. It's got to decide what exposure is needed and then put the employee in the right situation for the right amount of time. And so this could look like an employee being in a different position every few years and moving around to gain the experience. Um, and some organizations even develop a structured rotational program that methodically gives employees exposure to different aspects of the organization over time. Um, some organizations, though, just give a very brief exposure to different, um, thing, different positions, like maybe even just two weeks in several different assignments. Um, and I often see this in family businesses, once again, where family members um, need to get just a very broad general view of the overall business. Other organizations like Cargill here locally expect management trainees to take on different assignments every few years and they move them around and that's just something they know they have to do. Another way to do on-the-job training well is to uh, give assignments for people that are a stretch. And maybe you don't have time or ability to do a rotational program, but you can give them a stretch assignment that is a project that's gonna push them to learn new things, to grow in responsibility or in an area that they don't currently have. And it could just be taking the lead on a project or it could be going cross-departmentally and working with people in another area that they may not have exposure to. And especially if that's an area that they're interested in. So those stretch, stretch assignments can be really helpful. Um, in some cases, especially if you've got looming retirements, um, it may be helpful to double up on a key position where you have somebody who is alongside and learning for six months or a year or two years in order to really get that next person up to speed. And it can be really costly, obviously, in the short term to double that up, especially smaller organizations. But it can often be the best option long term for the organization because especially some of those lower skilled trade sort of um, positions, those have taken years to learn. And so it might take a little bit of time and like an apprenticeship, for instance, to be able to learn those well. So those are some ideas to do on the job training. Um, next is just training in general. And, and this is often synonymous with employee development, but I think it's a little bit different. Um, just going to training is, is good, but um, development is something that's different than just training. Training, in my mind, is knowledge transfer. And so when we think about training, once again, going back to the two types of skills, we've got technical skills-based training, where we get certificate in project management or welding, and that's fairly straightforward and easy to quantify and pretty easy to do, just some knowledge transfer. And that's the approach that many managers take to employee development. They think, let's just send them to training. But the problem is, even if, what if it's not a technical problem? What if it's a behavioral problem? Well, 
we've got to do something different. We can't just do training. Training regarding soft skills has to be more behavioral. Sure, you're going to transfer some knowledge about tools to use, behaviors to change, different ways to think. But we have to think about this as um, how do we uh, help them to change their behavior? How do we follow up and hold them accountable? How do we help them to, to become a better team player or to manage their time better? Those have some knowledge transfer aspects, but also a lot of that behavior. So we've got to treat it differently. So don't make the mistake of just sending everyone to training, regardless of what the issue is, we've got to go through and make sure it's the right type of solution for them. One of the things for soft skills that can be helpful is mentoring. It's, a, it's basically a, a more experienced individual who already has a, a day job that they do coming alongside a less experienced individual or individuals to provide input and advice, be a sounding board for them. And there's a lot of ways that this could be put together. Um, sometimes it's just a, a very structured program where it's formal. We assign our mentors and the protégés together. We set topics and an agenda. We set how often you should be meeting. That's a very structured sort of program. It can also be more ad hoc, where to an ext one extreme it just happens, just because um, maybe less extreme, we create a culture of mentoring in our organization, and it happens because of that. Even less extreme, maybe we um, create program guidelines and we create a structure, but we allow people to choose mentors and do it a little bit more uh, loose than just a fully structured sort of program. So there's different ways to do it, but it can be really helpful. And most mentoring programs that I've seen are, are internal, where we pair a newcomer with somebody who's higher up and more experienced, who has um, knowledge of the culture, knowledge of the context, has relationships in the organization, can provide that input, and that can be really helpful. But you can also have um, external mentoring programs, and that's especially very necessary for smaller organizations where you can't really have your boss be your mentor because you want somebody who can give some outside input. So especially if you um, are in a smaller organization, it's helpful to try and find an outside mentoring program. Um, I, For our young professionals organization here locally, I helped to develop a mentoring program that pairs community leaders with a broad range of young professionals in the community and they meet together on a, a normal basis in small groups and provide some of that outside perspective for these um, younger people who need some perspective and maybe can't get it where they're at. So mentoring can be a really helpful solution. Um, coaching is also a great thing. And it's different than mentoring because somebody here is actually hired to work with an employee on specific issues. So it could be an internal coach, like maybe an HR person internally who has training and coaching. And usually that's at a larger organization where they have that resource. Or it could be external, where we hire an external coach who can provide some confidentiality, external perspective, and especially for small organizations where we don't have that internal resource. There's really two types of coaching, and I think it's important to differentiate. You can have executive coaching, where we work with somebody who uh, we figure out what are the needs, what are the aspirations, set some goals, provide input, provide accountability for some change, and that's that, once again, the behavioral change. How do we help make that happen? But then we can also have and that's, so that's executive coaching, but then you can also have content-specific coaching where you might hire a sales coach to come and help you with your sales approach or something like that, where it's very specific um, knowledge transfer to some degree and um, behavioral on that as well. Um, another solution and a last one here, one that I don't often see as much of, um, but it's a really great way to help your develop your employees is through um, intentional community involvement. And so this could be 
having them join a local young professionals group or the Chamber of Commerce or volunteering for an organization that they care about or joining a board, anything like that. And if it's done intentionally, it can really help employees to gain an outside perspective to see something that's different than the internal operations of just your company. And it gives them, I think this is most important, an opportunity to take a leadership role, maybe especially for younger people. If there's not a leadership role internally available yet, we can still have them get involved outside, become a leader in some organization, get that experience, but it doesn't have to be internal to our organization. And maybe they're not even ready for that. Maybe it's a big step for them to go and start doing that, but it's it's a really great, I think, opportunity that not enough people take advantage of. Um, this can give them great connections to the community as well, can help them meet other people who are involved in businesses. And for your organization, it can give you more visibility in your um, community too. So I think it's a win-win all around for a lot of people. So I want a third polling question here. Um, which of these solutions, as you think about your best fit your organization right now, what your needs are? And like I said before, these aren't necessarily completely brand new, but I, hopefully I've given some ideas of um, new ways to think about this and new ways to structure some of these things for you, for solutions. So what's... Um, the best here for you, for your organizations. Looks like on the job training and maybe doing some of those rotational things or stretch assignments is uh, top there. And then mentoring, coaching is, an, is second there. Um, I think those are both great opportunities. Interesting that training is so low there at 8% because that's often the go-to when people think employee development, we go to training. And so I think it's important to see that not the be all end all. I think it is helpful in some situations, but we just don't want to go straight to training. Got to figure out what's the best solution for the needs of the person and the individual. So now I want to get into the delivery. Um, and I, hopefully I'll give you some good ideas here too. Uh, I want to talk about how do we deliver some of these solutions. And some of these solutions have been around a while, but I think we, we really want to focus on a few things. The training needs and the desires of the next generation have maybe changed from what they have been in the past, so I want to speak to that. But also, I think there's some new delivery methods available that you may or may not be aware of, but thinking about how do we utilize these in our development of employees. So first of all, what are the training needs and desires of these next two generations? Well, the next two are really Generation X, first of all, and we want to look at them separately from Millennials. They still require training and development. And so what do they want? Well, first of all, they want career development. They want to be developed. They want a career path. They want to grow in their organization. So we got to try and give that to them. They want fairness. And so whatever that perceived fairness is for them, we've got to try and make sure that how we structure training in our organization is perceived as fair for them, that we're not just singling out millennials and forgetting about Gen Xers. I think that's a big point. For the most part, Generation X likes to have things not sugar-coated, pretty direct, tell me how it is, and um, don't beat around the bush. And they want some independence. They want to do things how they want to do them um, and have some flexibility in that. So it's important, once again, to think about Gen X separate from Millennials and millennials, then when we look at them, one of the things that they want is they want constant feedback. They want to know how did the project go yesterday? Did I do well? Or are there things that I need to change? Now, not all, not all of them are going to be completely open to um, constructive feedback, but I, I think if we do it right, we can give them constructive feedback, but they do want constant feedback. They don't want it just once a year sort of employee reviews. They want to know more often how they're doing. Second, like I had mentioned before, they want growth potential. They want to see what that career path is. They want to know what next steps they can take. And if they don't see it there, they're going to leave. So even if there's not a position that's open for them right now, 
if there's things that you can do that can help them to see uh, next steps and the next paths that they feel like they're moving forward and see how they might be able to move up, then um, that's going to go a long ways to helping them stay there. Um, kind of like uh, Gen X, they, they want some independence or flexibility in order to be trained when they want, how they want. We don't want to completely give into that, but as much flexibility as we can is really helpful for them. Um, millennials also are very big on mission and values. And so if we can set forth what our organization's mission and values are and show how this training or this development fits within that, then that's going to go a long ways for them buying into that as well. And they want a sense of importance. So uh, everyone wants a trophy, right? There's a great book, once again, by Bruce Tolgan that's not everyone gets a trophy. That's about millennials. But they want some kind of sense of importance, maybe just that the work that they're doing and the project that they're doing, how it relates to the overall company vision and what they can do um, with that. So those are the things that we want to try and give them or at least pay attention to as we're doing training. So let's talk about some delivery methods here. Well, first of all, the most recently, obviously, the development of online resources, and we can do in-person or online. So what are the pros and cons? Well, on-the-ground in-person training can be great because it can be customized. I think you get better interactions. You can ask questions. You get to know people. You better instruction. As a teacher, I like those. Um, I'd rather teach somebody in person rather than a webinar. But here we are. And um, I'll get to the online um, things, which has a lot of great things to it, too. The cons, obviously, of in-person training or whatever that looks like is that it's more expensive. It's not as flexible. There is a specific time and day that you have to do it. Um, but when we look at online, there's a lot of new ideas and new things that are coming out, new resources. So it's important to understand those. First of all, you may or may not be aware of MOOCs, massive, online, massive open online courses. And those are courses that are free for the most part that Harvard, MIT, Berkeley, these great professors have put out and have available out there. So you can do coursework online. If you're getting a certification, you can do a lot of that online and training that way, which is great. Um, there's a lot of video resource libraries. If you know lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com, or Masterclass, they are great. Um, video repositories for instruction and learning, and even Masterclass has people like Mal Malcolm Gladwell or Martin Scorsese or Steph Curry who teach these classes that have that are available there. There's also video conferencing that you can use through GoToMeeting or Skype or different things like that in order to enable some of those coaching or mentoring sort of relationships. And then gamification is a new uh, trend as well that can be used for onboarding or compliance, basically treating some of these training things as more of a game and helping people to get engaged through that and uh, get rewards and gain scores and all of that through going through training. So those are some of the trends in online um, development. And what are the pros and cons? Well, it's obviously it's cheaper a lot of times. You have a ton of options, tons of things that you can get, very specialized material that you can get. Very flexible because I can watch videos whenever I want, if it's at home or during work hours or whatever. But it's not as personalized. You don't have as much of that meaningful interaction. And so once again, there's pros and cons to both, but um, they each have their place. Well, what else do we have as far as delivery options? Well, there's ongoing and one-off sort of training. So ongoing examples might be coaching that's ongoing over a year or two that we have follow-up and continue on or mentoring like that. Or maybe we have a year-long course where we're working um, with teammates or peers and going through this year-long course together. Those are some good online or ongoing examples, but there's also one-off. So think about, um, I've got a specific issue I've got to deal with. We're going to just coach on that and then we're done. Or a specific on-the-job training project that you do and then you're done. So once again, I'm giving you some options here to think about as you put together your custom um, 
training and development package, how do we put that together? Well, what are the different ways we could do it? Uniform or custom, uniform where we have a, the same high potential program that everyone goes through or a standard career pathway that everyone has to go through at the organization. Or you can customize things. Custom coaching for each person, do specialized projects based on what specifically somebody needs. So think about how do you do that? Which do you use? Um, you can also have internal or external sort of resources for training and development. Internal, like I said, people know the culture, the cost, especially if it's in a larger organization, can be spread out over a lot of people. But the cons, maybe you don't get enough perspective. Maybe you don't have the specialist in-house that you could get externally. External, you have somebody who has perspective, who doesn't have a dog in the fight, but it can be more expensive and you have people who don't know the context or the situation as well. So those are some delivery options. Implementation-wise, how do we implement some of these? Well, I want to give you guys some, some tools here as we wrap up. Well, first of all, like I said before, you can't hope. You've got to be intentional about change and intentional about how you set up these programs. Second, we can either, we got to figure out, do we develop somebody from within or do we hire for this position? Something that you got to figure out and then figure out what are our needs and how do people fit into that? How do their needs and desires and strengths fit into that? And then we sit down and we create a plan. And then we've got to figure out as we create the plan, how much of a priority is this to our organization? The development of employees, how important is this? Because uh, it can be very different for different organizations and take very different things. So if we determine that this is a high priority thing, that we have people who are leaving, that we really have to fill our development bench, then we can see results quickly. We can impact a lot of people, but it's gonna take more time it's going to take more money, but we get those quick results. Um, if that's a high priority, then you, know, you could do that. If it's not as high of a priority, then it's going to be less costly, and we're going to see fewer results. If at all, if we don't even focus it on it at all, then will we even see results? Maybe not. And we're going to impact fewer people. So you've got to figure out on, on the scale of priority, where does this lie and how much are we willing to invest in both time and money and we can get quicker results if we invest more but you get what you put into it whatever you do it should be intentional um, another important question here is to, to figure out okay who do we train we have limited resources we can't train everybody we can't give everyone a coach right so how do we decide who to train or who to give to have a coach there's some options, and once again, you got to figure out what's best for your organization. So you could say, well, we do it by position, where everyone who is a manager and up will receive coaching, or all new hires go through this program. It's positionally based based on that. You could also look at it by tenure and say, well, you have to be here two years or five years before you can go through this course, and then after you've been here 10 years, you can do this. Um, that's one way to do it. You could also look at it from a ability or a high potential sort of way where management and HR choose who they feel have the most potential regardless of the tenure or position. And then we invest in those sort of people or the need that we have, right? Uh, another one is family members where if, if you're in a family owned business, family members might get some preferential treatment and that's okay. But what we really have to decide regardless of what we choose is we've got to have clarity as a management group about why we're making that decision and what the criteria is, and then be able to clearly explain and delineate why Bobby's going in to training and Susie is not because of this, because otherwise you're going to get into a messy situation. So you've got to really figure out what's our criteria, how, how do we delineate, who gets a coach or who doesn't, or, or whatever that looks like. So I'm interested to know for the last polling question here, um, how do you currently choose who to train or who to focus on in your development? Is it by position? Is it tenure? Is it ability or potential or the family? Or maybe it's 
something else, or maybe it's just the need as it arises. Um, so almost half of you guys choose by the ability or the potential, some of you by position, and then others maybe by need or some other way. That's good. Regardless of what you do, make sure that you're clear on what how it is and you can explain that to others. Okay, as we wrap up here, I just as you think about implementing and staying on track, once again, you've got to be proactive about this. You've got to set a plan and a course of action and stick to it. You've got to do things to keep this front of mind for your managers, for your people, to say this is important that we develop people, this is important that we've got successors, and don't let it just go to the back burner. And then we've got to hold people accountable. If we said that we're going to do this or do this sort of training, then we've got to do it. And we've got to hold managers accountable for training their employees or uh, all of that. We, we can't just let it fall to the back burner, like I said. So to finish up here, just in review, you know, this is really a huge need that I see now in both. It's just going to get even bigger. Um, there's a lot of different development and delivery options out there. I gave you a, a high-level overview of a, lot, of a lot of them. But really what you need to do now is to figure out, based on your own needs, your own organization, what combination of all of these solutions and delivery op options can we and should we use in our organization. And if we need to, get somebody from an outside perspective to come in and help develop that and figure out how do we do this right. Um, some of the resources, like I said, some of those webinars on AGH University can be helpful in the soft skills training and other topics. If you want that red light, yellow light, green light scorecard, comment or let me know and I can send that to you afterwards. And that bridging the soft skills gap is a really great one by Bruce Tolgan as well. So with that, I'm going to hand it over to Mike and can give you some input here on HR credit. I'll stick around for questions here at the end, but we're right about time. So Mike. Take it away. Daniel, we had a few questions come in. Um, the first one that I saw come in was, how can I determine the needs of our employees? Is that a conversation, surveys, something else? How do we go about doing that? Um, well, there's a lot of ways that you can approach it, and I think you should try multiple ways and not just one aspect. I think, first of all, um, talking to their manager and those who work with them of what skill sets, gaps do you see or experience gaps, and hopefully they will know if they work with them enough. You can also talk directly to that employee and ask them, um, what skill sets do you feel like you need to do your job better? And also, what do you feel like you'd like to do? What would you like to learn? Where would you like to go? Um, so that can be helpful when you're looking specifically at one sort of um, uh, employee. If you want to know for the organization as a whole, you can take, for instance, a, a company-wide survey to see what a few people feel as the, the gaps, or even just a management-wide survey of the people that you manage. What are the major gaps that you guys are seeing that we could try and address as an organization? All right. The next question that came in is, how do I know if I need mentors or coaches? Good question. Um, mentoring, I think, is really great for especially younger people who need a place for a sounding board, who need um, somebody who's external to the organization or external to just their specific situation currently, who they can um, ask questions to, who can um, be a helpful resource for them, connecting them with the right people, all of that sort of thing. So it's it's a little bit more of a sounding board resource rather than an intentional, directional somebody who comes in and is specifically working with you on specific issues and following up and holding you accountable. That's more of a coach. And so uh, coaches, if there's specific issues that need to be dealt with or um, specific areas of growth that have been identified. Maybe a coach is somebody that can be uh, better to be more intentional with you and those sort of things rather than a mentor, if you, especially if you have somebody who is not a self-starter, then a mentorship is not going to work too well because they're not going to take the in, 
the intent, the uh, initiative to go and uh, ask questions at the sounding board. So somebody who's got a lot of drive and initiative can really gain a lot from a mentor, but if they don't have that, then sometimes it can not be as helpful because they don't take advantage of it. <laughs>